Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome back to Animated by Faith. I'm so glad you guys are joining me on today's episode. And I'm so excited to bring on this guest for you guys. One of my heroes. He's an awesome guy. Been in the industry for a while now. Everybody, Tony Bancroft. Give him a round of applause. Hey, hey, hey. all right. I'm, I'm looking, I'm <laughs> applauding for myself too, just to add to to the volume. But yeah, it's good to be here, Jared. I'm glad we were able to schedule this and work it out. I know it was a little back and forth, but you were tenacious. <laughs> you like s- stuck your teeth into me and wouldn't let go. No. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again for coming on, Tony. I'm really excited. For those of you who might not know Tony, he was uh, went to Cal Arts uh, in the 80s, started at Disney Feature Animation in 1989. Uh, he was a co-director of Mulan, worked on Movies such as The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Rescuers Down Under. Uh, he worked for Sony Pictures as well and started his own animation studio, Tenacious Family Entertainment, which is Christian based, which is awesome. And we'll be sure to talk about that. And he's mm-hmm. the new director of animation at Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just finished up my last semester. I started the program at Azusa Pacific University out here in California. But now I'm transferring over and we'll be running the program at Lipscomb University. Come join us. <laughs> and my brother's out there too. He started the program. So uh, we'll be working together. But um, I think technically I'm his boss again, <laughs> which is kind of cool. That's kind of cool. That's a perk. I got that in my contract. I said, can I just be called Tom's boss? And it's it's a thing now. That's awesome. But yeah, and that's just kind of uh, the internet direction for you guys. But Tony... If you just want to take some time and introduce yourself, if anything else I didn't say to everyone listening. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's hard not to talk about my biography without talking about my brother. We're twins. You know, we started on the same path early on, always had the same loves. We were passionate about, uh, yes, Christ and and, uh, uh, the Christian faith was always a part of us from an early age, although it wasn't really... I, I didn't really become a Christian, I would say, until junior high, um, and Tom about the same time. But we did go to church before that, and I would say, but it was around that time when uh, we really came into a, a knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and that we needed him in our lives. Um, and it wasn't the same day. I, want, I don't want to make it sound like Tom and I you know, accepted Christ. We don't do everything exactly the same time and the same way. Um, but when I talk about my career journey, my art journey, it is hard not to mention Tom because um, so many of the steps that I took in my life were steps that I took with mm-hmm. him um, from different schools that we went to and just doing artwork together. So many of my memories in my childhood of drawing is with Tom. You know, he was drawing also beside me or behind me. We had desks that were back to back. And so, um, you know, we were stuffed in the same room and just drawing and reading comic books and doing geeky things like that most of our childhood. <laughs> yeah, and that must be pretty awesome. Um, I had a brother and I grew up sharing the same room, like you said, and it, it's a time. Yeah. And a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a time. It's a time. I like how you said that. Yeah. Good and bad. Yeah, no, definitely. But it's just awesome uh, being able to have um, someone, especially a brother, and kind of just going through your career with each other and having kind of a sense of community already. And that's really important, uh, especially in our faith. And I just think that that's really such a blessing that you were able to receive uh, having your brother there um, just through your life and even till through today working with him. I just think that's pretty awesome. 
Yeah, I didn't know what kind of blessing that was, but when I look back at it, I certainly, um, uh, I, I am so thankful for God's grace in my life and giving me Tom um, for having a twin brother. I don't know what it is. People always ask, you know, the twin thing, you know, what's it like being a twin? You know, it's like, well, I always say, I don't really know. I don't know what it is to be normal, I guess. So um, uh, a non-twin, um, which is the norm. So yeah, we're, we're freaks basically. Um, but I would say that I don't know. I never really put a value on it, I guess. Um, but as I become older and Tom and I have talked more too about this is that I see that you know, for artists, if you have a, a built-in supporter, sometimes that's your parents. A lot of times it's not, though. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's not your parents. But it could be a friend or it could be a parent. That that support system is so um, so important to your um, just continuing on because being an artist is hard. You do a lot of, let's face it, you do a lot of crappy drawings and um, yeah. before you start making good ones and what's going to get you through those crappy drawings is usually your support system. Either you're somebody that is self-motivated and you can really be positive and speak light into your own mind, which is really hard to do because we all have those little mm -hmm. voices that are like, you're not good enough, Jared. You'll never make <laughs> it. And those kind of, yeah. And, and the devil comes knocking right at our subconscious. Yeah. And yet if you can have somebody in your life, like I did with Tom, that was there, not that we were like, yeah, I mean, we're brothers, we're competitive. Right. So we weren't like, mm -hmm. Tom, that's great. You just did a wonderful drawing there. I'm so <laughs> encouraged by that. And you know what? You could do anything you set your mind to. We were not those kind of motivational people, but just the fact that we both had the same passion and, we, we were hard on each other. We were, uh, you know, always critiquing each other's drawings and work, but I look at that as now a huge blessing, just like uh, the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron, uh, as being so important to have brothers, uh, you know, spiritual brothers and sisters around you to sharpen you and, and keep you accountable. Mm -hmm. I feel like Tom was that we were that for each other. We were, uh, on an artistic sense. We were always there kind of going, I just heard about this, or did you read this article or, Oh, we got to watch the show and, you know, and, and learn, learn, learn. And then also on top of it, Oh, that could be better. And here, let me draw over this. And, you know, let me show you what I think this could be. And let's do a character design. And we both would build on it. And it was that constant kind of working over each other's shoulder a little bit and not always in the most positive way, I admit. Um, but it was that, that I think really made us better than, most like when we got to high school, I would say we were two of the top artists in our high school, whether we knew it or not at the time. Um, and sometimes you could see these things in retrospect, but you know, we got treated special. And at first I thought it was just because we were this oddity of these drawing twins. Um, and of course in high school, you think, yeah, if I draw these cool pictures for these cheerleaders, they're going to like me. And I'm, <laughs> and maybe I'll get a girlfriend from drawing cool drawings never happens. I'm just going to say that right yeah. now. Never happens. Sadly. Yes. <laughs> Sadly, you'll never be popular with the, with the ladies, uh, if you draw, but you know, it was, it was going into high school and realizing that we were already so much ahead of not only in drawing skills, cause we had drawn so much and practice, 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 but also in our head knowledge too, of, of art and how it's created. And even the commerce of it, we were already studying, you know, like, what is it to be a professional cartoonist? And, but for us, it was comic strips. That's how we started. It was, uh, we were going to be, you know, we were highly influenced by Calvin and Hobbes and the newspaper. And 
and Charles Schultz, the Peanuts characters, and um, and then comic books. Tom Tom more so than me with comic books, I would say. So he was drawing superheroes and stuff like that, big muscle characters, and I was drawing silly, cartoony animals. And I would say we we still are kind of like that. I still like. I literally have a drawing on my desk right now, or an animated scene that I'm working on for um, Enchant Disenchanted, which is going to be a sequel from uh, Disney's Enchanted. So I'm I'm still drawing mice and squirrels and things like that. That's me. I'm I'm really into like the toony like animals, and animals have always been like a really big part of my life. I definitely am with you on that. <laughs> but uh, just going on from there, I guess you kind of talked about it already, but. If you could just talk about like how you were first introduced to drawing and animation and how you kind of developed your thoughts into like thinking I could do this as a career potentially. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I think it was for animation specifically, it didn't come until after high school. So Tom and I, like I said, we we're running in this direction of doing a, a comic strip and really we're kind of clueless as to what education we really needed to know. Cause everything that we had read about professionals um, like Gary Trudeau, who did um, Doonesbury, which is a comic that uh, is now come and gone a long time ago, but he was, or, or there was a drabble. That was a comic strip that was being done. And, and uh, Kevin, uh, I forget his last name, but um, we started to get to read articles and get to know some of these other cartoonists that were professionals doing comic strips and we started realizing their stories are all were very similar very little college that many of them didn't go to college or didn't have a degree they just started drawing this funny wacky character and made a comic strip of it and got syndicated and it seemed like the dream you know for us it was like we never did really well in school tom and i and we only had this we were so focused we just only had this one interest our hobby was our only interest, which was drawing comics and comic books and characters. It was always character-based stuff. And so, you know, my mom was, we had a single mother mm -hmm. and, um, and so she was really confused, but we were not ready financially for college. So I would say it was a blessing too, that we were kind of looking outside of college. How do we make a career of this and stuff? But my mom must have been, she was so supportive of us, but she must have been so concerned and so freaked out having two twin boys, same age. And it probably looked like we were going to live at home for the rest of our lives. So she must have been a little terrified of that, but never showed it. She was always very encouraging. Um, so ultimately, after we graduated, we went to, to kind of step into college and kind of try it out. We went to a city college that was local but not to like get GEs out of the way for um, you know, a degree or anything. It was literally just to take some art classes and, and see what it was at like a college level. Now that we're, um, you know, and, and be around other artists because we didn't have that experience really in high school, other talented artists. We thought maybe at the city college, they had some good art programs and we, we got on the newspaper staff and started doing a comic strip together for the, the college paper. And we thought, well, this is it. I mean, we will just work. You know, we had day jobs, uh, just um, bringing in some money. I think I worked for Carl Karcher, Carl's Jr., basically Carl Karcher Enterprises um, during the day at that time while we were taking some classes in City College. But it was there at that City College in Orange County that, that the light bulb moment happened for animation. Because there was a, uh, a moment when we took an illustration class and 
met one of the, and we made a lot of friends in that class. All of a sudden we're around these really sensational artists. And one of them was a guy named Eric Stefani and Eric Stefani um, really changed the path that Tom and I were going because he showed us some of the work that he had done that summer. And he was really into clay animation. Uh, Will Vinton was popular back then. There was some commercials with these dancing raisins on TV that were all clay animated, stop motion. Heard it through the grapevine was this song that these raisins were dancing to in the commercial. And it was, <laughs> it was mesmerizing. We had seen that. And Tom and I were just like, I don't know how, how did they do that? I mean, animation just seemed like rocket science to us. It, it was like, there must be higher math involved. There's stuff that we can't figure out. So it wasn't even really, we had put animation in this category of that's, that's for really smart people. We'll never be able to figure that out. And, and but we met this dorky guy that was just like us, Eric Stefani, who was making animation. And all of a sudden that opened the door to us of going, hey, if he could do it, <laughs> and he's an idiot. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> kidding. Uh, he's a dear friend. But, uh, you know, uh, but if he could do it and he's just like us and has the same, you know, foibles and um, basically hates, hates studying and learning and, and college and stuff as much as we do. Then, um, then maybe we can make this happen. And sure enough, uh, we did a film together with him uh, that summer. Uh, we actually got um, a cr college credit. We took a pottery class and convinced the teacher that clay animation was kind of related to pottery. <laughs> and so we got uh, uh, school credit to take this class. And, um, and we made a film that summer, the whole time that other little old ladies were next door making pots and pans and or uh, mugs and stuff. We were out making an animated film and it was to a Christian video by Steve Taylor, who was then like a really popular kind of alternative Christian artist at the time. And he really opened a lot of doors and music and, and side note, uh, Steve Taylor runs the program at Lipscomb university. So I feel like <laughs> oh, my, really? my, my whole world has gone full circle now. Cause I'm going to be working with the guy that um, that I actually did a music video to his song and started it all. Um, but we fell in love, Tom and I fell in love with um, animation. We thought, well, we, we're artists. We, we love to draw. So if we could do this with clay, which is a hassle because you're always dealing mm -hmm. with hot lights and clay melting and gravity, the effects of gravity on every frame. Um, mm -hmm. And so we thought, instead of fighting all that, let's just use our we could be 2D animators. Certainly, we, we already like to draw and draw characters. So, we we now felt like, you know, everything was open to us and in a, in a new way like never before. And we were Tom and I were already huge cinephiles. We loved movies and we loved you know um, storytelling and things like that. Mm -hmm. But we had always kind of we were up until that point we were always limiting ourselves, just thinking about comic strips, a gag a day comic strip. And maybe we could do that, you know, <laughs> now we're thinking about the big range of, you know, uh, working at Disney possibly, or working at, mm -hmm. in animation and making feature films. This was so far beyond what we had considered before this, but we started looking into colleges and we found CalArts. That was like the number one college at the time for animation. It was the only yeah. pretty much college for animation at the time too, um, started by Disney and all this. And the more we read about it, we're like, oh, we got to go there. This looks like the place to be and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and I think we were like class number six or seven or something since it started, um, something like that. And, um, 
but we found out how much it costs <laughs> and that was a crusher. Um, because like I said, my mo single mom, we had not been prepared financially. She was just surviving and was not able to put away, uh, funds for us for college. And, and we were only working at fast food restaurants and things like that. So we basically put our portfolio through, we did get accepted and we found out later it was one of their biggest years of accepting people. So, um, and there was like 45 students in our class or something <laughs> like they just were, they were doing a money grab, I think at Cal arts. And there's like, let's not put a limit on it. Everybody gets in. I, we just really lucked out, I think. And, um, so they accepted our portfolio and now we're like, Oh, how are we going to pay for this? Well, my mom had just enough saved to get us through one year. And then we were clueless how it was, but we were like, well, let's do it. Let's just step through this door. God opened this door of opportunity. We really felt that and we were going to walk through it. And so we did that first year at CalArts, not knowing if we were going to have money after that to continue on. So we were never there for the degree. We were only there for the experience. And, and it was, and we ended up, so we did go for that year. And what happened was that my mom remarried and our stepdad believed in us enough. This is to, you know, to his credit. And I, I'm just so thankful to him always for this. Mm -hmm. He put some of his retirement money into paying for us to go for another semester. And then we and we also worked all summer long after our freshman year, Tom and I both earned enough money for a room and board, like the dorm rooms and stuff. And, and then my dad, um, you know, cashed out an IRA or something that he had for, uh, for his retirement. And we were able to go for one semester and then God opened the doors for Disney to come in and they were doing a big portfolio review. Um, and we got in through that portfolio review into Disney straight from a year and a half at CalArts. Wow. It's, I know it's one of those, like, I hate to even tell my students that story because it's so against kind of what the norm is these days. Mm -hmm. It was really all divine. I, I really look at it and go, we were just idiot kids, uh, stepping into this new world and we thrive because we had, we did have a lot of knowledge and we did start drawing at an early age. So we had the talent I would say, but we did not know what we were getting into and we were financially not ready for a future there at Cal arts and God made it so that we didn't need to have four years there. Wow. So that's amazing. Yeah, I feel like uh, I relate to that a lot. And because uh, in my case, I wasn't even planning on doing animation at all. I didn't yeah. even take an art class in high school. I just drew growing up as a kid. And I was my main plan was I was going to go to Penn State University because that's where mm. all my three siblings are Penn State yeah. grads. Of course. And uh, Edinburgh was like the last place I wanted to go. And then. <laughs> God was like, no, you are going to go here and you're going to draw and make things come alive on paper. And I was like, okay, <laughs> but it's, yeah, but that's just awesome. And like you said, just how divine that is. And you know, that was just sent from God and that everything was planned out. The time was planned out. That's just amazing to see. And I think that's just like a lot of people I feel like can relate to that, and especially with animation. I think some people don't even really think that they can do that and but then the, the opportunity just kind of presents itself and that's what it was like in my case and I just, yeah that's awesome so what was the light bulb moment for you where you decided I want to get into animation and go this crazy route <laughs> well 
it's part of my testimony, but it goes into a long story kind of, but I actually had this dream of where I was animating and uh, I was like drawing and it was like a race car and I was like animating this and I was finishing up flipping through the papers drawn and then like I could hear like the motor like revving up and it's going like and then like the grace car like flew off the paper and the papers went flying everywhere and then I was like in like a classroom and then I don't know who it was but then they're like all right guys we're gonna look at Jared's animation project he's like I want you guys to take notes and I don't know it was like I don't know I knew it was sent from God yeah and um have you animated that car yet now that you no, i need to i need to. yeah you need to fulfill that dream but uh yeah <laughs> rum, then, rum. <laughs> i can just see you flipping the i can't believe you're flipping paper too no that's, yeah because that's uh, amazing is that how you learn at edinburgh is with paper yeah that's what our first semester and if i could i would love to do paper i don't i'm not that big a fan of digital but it, it's all right yeah. but um Trust yeah, me, I, I wasn't first... either, but I've totally adapted over. Yeah. I mean, there's just no going back to paper. Yeah. It's, I feel like people that dream of making animation on paper are just people that don't want to work because <laughs> it's not the norm. But uh, yeah, that's how we learned at Edinburgh my first semester. Everything I did was on paper. And uh, that's so cool. That is cool. And my first professor I had, his name is Jeremy Galante. And he, uh, he's worked for some stuff on Sesame Street. I was actually contemplating on going to seminary school. I was going to leave here and I was going to go to seminary. Yeah. And I was like really trying to decide. And I had this other dream where I was like walking through this building and I was opening all these doors like down this hallway. And I opened the last one and my professor was in there and he was like, hey, Jared, he's like, I wanted to talk to you. He's like, I want you to keep doing what you're doing. He's like, you're going to animate bigger and greater things. All right. And I was like, okay. And then he's like, all right, see you later. And then it just ended. And so I was like, that's crazy. But yeah, it's just been super awesome just to see like, I know like God gave me those dreams because I feel like I couldn't even have imagined that. And it's just kind of amazing to see that. And, but, and then going back to like what you said with the, like your first project being uh, that, like claymation for the mm-hmm. Christian video. Cause that was one of my first um, animation projects I ever did. It was a stop motion and it was to um, Brad Paisley's cover of uh, the old rugged cross. And oh, sure. And like I uh, brought together all these letters and I wrote out John three sixteen and the verse, and then they all like come together and formed the cross and then like the oh, blood drips down, wow. but it's just awesome uh, to kind of see that similarity. But uh, that's, that's cool. <laughs> but yeah. but moving on from that, I guess um, I wanted to kind of go into character design and talking about that with mm. you being a very well-known character designer in the industry and uh, one that a lot of people and students look up to. Kind of just wanted to ask you kind of what your favorite part about is um, creating characters. And uh, what have been some of your favorite ones to work on? Well, I was um, very involved. When you become a supervising animator back in the day, like in the 90s when I was at Disney and we were doing 2D animation, when you become a supervising animator, one of your roles is to um, create the final design and model sheets for the characters that you're supervising. So I did that twice 
on two different Disney films, one being Lion King. I created the final look of Pumbaa, the final design. Um, and then Kronk, uh, I did the final design of Kronk on Emperor's New Groove. Um, and that was a process in itself doing all that design work. But the good thing is, uh, good or bad, I mean, I, I guess you could look at it either way, but for me it was good, is that at Disney you don't work in a vacuum. Um, there was already a ton of drawings of Pumbaa when I came onto The Lion King that were done by story artists, directors, um, you know, Chris Sanders, who's a production designer on that mm -hmm. at the time. Um, a lot of different people had contributed, including character designers, uh, to what Pumbaa and Timon look like. Um, so there was a lot to kind of go from and kind of put into the filter of what could this final design be. Um, so I was not starting from scratch, which was for a first time supervising animator would have been um, scary, mm -hmm. really scary. It was scary enough having that burden and responsibility on my shoulders, not burden really. It was, it was a, I was super thrilled to do it. Um, but it was also a time of great anxiety and, you know, fear of like, I want I got to get this right. And this is a Disney feat. It's just all the mounting. And this is a thing that can really be the difficult thing to deal with working at a big studio like Disney is when there's this great tradition and past that you learn about in school of, um, the wonderful nine old men and the, mm -hmm. the art that was produced before you came there and the films that are legacy films and stuff like that. And, and now you're working there and you're making those films and that's your responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, boy, you feel that you just kind of feel that weight of the history um, and expectation that's on you. And this was when Lion King had no expectations of being a successful movie. So at least I yeah, didn't the have B film. Yeah, it was like the B film and all that. You've heard that story. But, you know, at the time it was um, just the, the history of, and the legacy of Disney being on, on my shoulders was enough that it made me very nervous. So I was glad that, you know, I had conversations early on with the directors about what they were looking for in Pumbaa and and we looked at, you know, drawings by Chris Sanders and by, you know, Rick Mackey and all these different artists mm -hmm. that had, and even Bruce Johnson, who was a storyboard artist that had done a lot of boards with Pumbaa and Timon and talked about things that they liked and didn't like. And, and then I started really just kind of putting everything together. Um, and then uh, Tony Ficilli, who was a, um, a leading animator on the film, he did Mufasa. Um, he was a great designer and had done all the character designs with James Baxter on Hunchback. Mm -hmm. So they had him uh, go over a lot of a lot of the designs too. So I had his influence also as a support. Um, but yeah, I finally made that final design. And same thing, same process on Emperor's New Groove, except for a lot faster. <laughs> but we had a on, the only thing that was different on Emperor's New Groove is. Later on, they started, I would say directors and producers got kind of wise and they would hire a lead character designer. Um, but back in the earlier days, you didn't do that. Uh, supervised animators kind of made all their own designs, but you didn't get a unity of look, you know, of the style from doing it that way. So by Emperor's New Groove, they had a designer, who they, which was a young kid. He was like 21 at the time, Joe Mosier, who was the, the lead character designer. And he set the look and style of all the characters. So he had already done a lot of designs of Kronk by the time I came on, but still had not come up with the final design. So I helped bring all that together in that mm -hmm. process. It was, but it was a quicker process because I had him also to work with to come up with the final model sheets for Kronk.
But yeah, I like doing character design, but my brother actually is the one that's really known for it because he's written a couple books. So mm -hmm. um, he's the one that's, uh, and maybe your, your college uses his uh, um, uh, character design books. There's the beginning character mentor and, and the yeah. one before that, which is the popular one. Yeah. So um, we're kind of both known for doing character design, mm -hmm. um, but I've probably done more professional character design than Tom has. Yeah. Putting the perspective and seeing God as like a creator and just a designer of life, how has God influenced your character work or your designs? And how have you used scripture to help you develop certain characters or certain scenes in your career? Yeah, I, uh, quite a bit. I mean, I, I really feel like God has uh, affected me like any Christian every day in my everyday walk, obviously. So putting that through the filter of being an animator at Disney or any other company that I've worked for, and I have worked for other companies outside of Disney too. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's given me, I have a great sense of striving for excellence in my work because I believe that in the scripture uh, and, and what Christ set as an example is that um, Christians shouldn't be about mediocrity. We mm -hmm. should be about excellence and we should stand above uh, by those that are wanting to judge us harshly. Mm -hmm. um, and by being excellent at, at our craft, at our God-given talents, that's how we kind of show the world that you know, we are worthy to be listened to in, in any kind of situation mm -hmm. and particularly being in, in the entertainment community and entertainment world. The thing that gets me in the door or gets people to listen to me is the fact that I have done work that is considered excellent. I'm not, if I was a mediocre artist or somebody that was a slacker or lazy, I would not have a reputation that would foster a lot of ears listening to me. And mm -hmm. so I feel strongly that to strive for excellence in the work that we do um, first and foremost is being glorifying to God. Um, and it gets us, it also opens up doors of opportunity for us where we can speak about Christ being in our lives and the journey that we're on as Christians through our example. And, and I think that's how we reach people, particularly these days, more than any other time, I think mm -hmm. is the kind of witness and example that we can be in a dark world is so, so important. Yeah. Um, and so just being a Christian in the world of animation certainly can be enough and Christ will use you. But if you can be a leader and a game changer in that industry also, you mm -hmm. know, um, I feel like it's even more of a powerful story for Christ. Yeah. The verse that I kind of based this whole podcast off of, it's James 1.17. Mm -hmm. And it says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. I like how you talked about how Jesus sets that, that example of excellence and just purity and uh, just taking that into animation and how like we should act and how you said how people just, especially in the past two years in animation, I feel like it's just gotten lazy and people aren't like we're like, really trying as hard because they don't have to go to work or you know mm -hmm. we can, we've been inside for two years now and but just like you said being that example of excellence and our work should be a good and perfect gift like it talks about in the bible how it's jesus asks his disciples um which one of you will not give um your children good gifts for a father always gives good gifts to his children you know i really think that that's what our work can be 
it can be a perfect gift. I really think that's what a movie can be because we remember movies. Like as a kid, I remember growing up and watching movies that you've worked on. And like, those have been perfect gifts in my life. And that's kind of made me go back and to remember what it was like being a kid and remember a good time in my life. Those were just really like my chain, really like big changes in my life. And uh, seeing that, and like you said, striving for excellence in everything we do in our everyday lives and just having that as like a cornerstone of our everyday lives. I think that really helps us. Yeah. I mean, for me, when I was younger, especially I remember being at CalArts and being a student there in my first year and everybody talked about Glenn Keane. He was the rock star of Disney animation at the time. And so, and he came and spoke a couple of times at CalArts while I was there as a student he was always amazing and I would have respected him and put him on a pedestal just as a gift, the gifted animator. He was, he could draw really well. He was, and then he was, but on top of it, he was outgoing and uh, passionate and charismatic. He would walk in the room and you just get this sense of somebody important being there. And then when he revealed, or when I found out that he was a Christian, that just put him on an even higher pedestal for me. I'm like, are you telling me that the best that there is in this industry and Glenn was always that. And I think always will be considered one of the very best in the industry that is currently living anyway, that that guy is a Christian. That guy is like me. He, it's not a crutch. Christ is not a crutch. And like a lot of non-Christians like to say, you need that because you're not good at anything else or you're broken or whatever. And so you need to lean on, on the fact that you're you know, faith and Jesus and stuff that, because you don't, you can't really make it. You can't really do it on your own. And I'm like, no, here's a guy that if he wasn't a Christian, we would still be excellent at what he does and passionate about what he loves and filmmaking and animation and creating characters. But on top of that, he puts all that through a filter of it's not about me. It's about him and points up to Christ, points up to God. And to me, that was like so impactful as a young Christian to know that there was somebody that was top of the top that was a Christian and that I can aspire to that. Because to me, that made him, and I knew other Christians that were animators at Disney. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not a lot, uh, or there wasn't at the time. um, And maybe fewer now, I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, uh, we need more. but, you know, if they weren't, if they were just okay, I don't know. I felt it, that wasn't impressive to me uh, as a Christian or as an artist. And I wanted to be able to, you know, look up to somebody. And I feel like the level of excellence that Glenn Keane achieved um, through his hard work, his dedication, his passion, but also using the talents and abilities that were given to him by God. I really feel like that. And I know he does too, because I've talked to him about it. Um, and then taking those seriously to the point of I'm going to be the best that I can be mm-hmm. and an example to others. That was huge. That was a game changer for me. And it, and it still is. I mean, I, you know, Tom and I have a podcast that we do the bank yep. brothers animation podcast. And we talk about Glenn all the time because he's easily Christian or not. He's the guy that people were all influenced by, you know? Yeah back in the nineties, two thousands. And even today, he's still out there doing incredible work. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's, that's cool, but he's also on our side, you know, yeah. I love that, you know, he's also on our side. 
Yeah, I, I when I was interviewing Mike uh, last week, he was telling just some amazing stories of just time that he got to spend with Glenn and just talks that they've had and uh, being able to learn under him and knowing that he's a Christian as well. It's just really amazing to see that, especially with animation and just uh, kind of, I guess you could say, liberal arts schools. They can be very secular. I felt at times in my career here at Edinburgh, but I feel, I'm pretty sure that anybody else that's a Christian in an atmosphere like that has probably felt the same. But, you know, we've kind of felt attacked at times for our faiths and standing up. Mm-hmm. But how have you, whether it be working at Disney or being a professor or just at any point in your life, how have you succeeded in trials? And especially with the past two years, with it just being a trial for everyone, how have you been able to succeed and how have you leaned on your faith or your community around you to help build you up and to build your brothers and sisters up? Yeah, I used to, I mean, admittedly, I went through a lot of different phases in my faith, but also my journey at Disney and career. But for the longest time, when I was a younger Christian, I wouldn't talk about my faith very much. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've never been one that will, you know, get up on a, a box and, you know, scream in the hallways that I'm a Christian and this and that. My approach has always been about being a light through the life that I live, being an example, being a witness. But there was times where I would get caught up in, especially when I was younger and, and, and less mature in, in my, my faith, mm-hmm. where I would, you know, be around all these secular people and all non-Christians and be joking around and they're talking about, you know, I would never curse. And I think that's what made me stand out for one, Mm -hmm. uh, as a Christian, but, um, or drink or any of that kind of stuff, but, you know, jokes and stuff like that, that became inappropriate and things like that. I would, I would start to take part in those, you know, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be part of the in crowd, especially early on, like I said, and as I matured more in my faith and knowledge and growth, uh, I would say that I, started doing less and less of that. And, and by pulling myself away from situations like that, I started to get a little bit chastised or made fun of, but I didn't care. After a while, I just didn't care because I knew that there was eternal ramifications and eternal responsibilities that I had to, to God and, and through my faith that I needed to stand up for what I felt was right. Um, and not succumb to the lowest common denominator just to be popular. Um, and so uh, I can remember a time when I went out, uh, this is on Mulan, I'm a director at this point, but I'm the youngest director and I'm really young and I've been having battles with an executive that really just saw me as a young kid and mm-hmm. just didn't know anything and he would make fun of me. There was some very unhealthy, toxic environments back then, particularly with some of the executives that just, you know, were on a power trip. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I remember going out to dinner with myself, co-director Barry Cook, Pam Coates, the producer, and these two, the president and vice president of Feature Animation. It was the mm-hmm. top dogs. And we're celebrating a screening of Mulan and talking about how things are going in Florida. I was at Florida at the time making the mm-hmm. movie. And, um, and I remember they, oh, let's all get cigars and stuff and, um, and, and, and get a, yeah, let's get a gin and tonic and cigars and, you know, do it New York style or whatever. And, and, uh, you know, if, and the executives like everybody, everybody get drinks, drinks and cigars for everybody. 
I'm like, no, I'm okay. I'm just going to stick with my water here or juice that I was drinking at the time. And I just remember him so vividly, you know, and I'm an adult at this point. I'm probably 27. I'm a young adult, but I'm like 27, 28, something like that. 28, 29, somewhere in there, Mm -hmm. just under 30. Cause I finished Mulan when I think I turned 30, somewhere in there. And, and I'm thinking, I don't, I feel like I'm in high school all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden I'm being pressured by the jock or the popular kids because everybody turned on me, everybody at the table, they were all doing the cigars and drinking the drinks and stuff and kind of uh, partying and celebrating. And it was like, I was the, I was like the little old lady, little old Christian lady and made fun of me like that um, because I couldn't, you know, smoke a cigar and stuff like that. And it's almost like that, you know, scene from Pinocchio when he goes to Pleasure Island and mm-hmm. he's like, you know, come on, Pino- Lamp- Lampwick is like, <laughs> come on, Pinocchio, have a cigar, you know, <laughs> and they stuff it in his mouth and he tries it and he turns green and stuff yeah. and faints. And, you know, I, I felt like all of a sudden, like I was little Pinocchio in Pleasure Island or something. And yet it was just Disney executives and stuff, but it was the same kind of bullying that, you know, would happen in high school. And, and it just set me apart. And at the time I felt really bad about that, that I got set apart like that, that I got made fun of. And I felt like I lost credibility. And then when I went home and I talked to my wife about it, we prayed about it and stuff. All of a sudden I felt like God was saying, no, that's exactly what you were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Don't feel bad about that. And you know, what started to happen is that when I went to work and it wasn't just because of that situation, but as I had more connections and developed more friendships and people knew who I was, I would walk into a room and people's um, people would go from telling raunchy jokes or cursing to not cursing anymore around me. Mm -hmm. And I never said I was a Christian. They just, they picked up on the fact that there was something different about me and that that didn't work for Tony and I wasn't going to hang with me. And, um, and so they started to change around me because they were influenced by me not being that guy you know, I was a considered a nice guy, honest integrity. That's what I achieved. That's what I wanted was to achieve the moniker of being integrous and honest. Um, mm-hmm. And along with that, yeah, a Christian, they, they figured there was something different about me because that did those things normally did not happen. You wouldn't find a guy that was honest or have integrity or didn't drink and smoke and curse and stuff like that, unless they were a Christian. So people start to assume that mm-hmm. even if I didn't tell them that but it opened up doors of conversation that I never would have had. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really think that's really honorable of you. And I, I feel the same way. Like I've had family and friends come up to me and be like, why do you want to work around it? Like such a secular environment when you're like, just such this, I don't know, just such, such a man of God and you're honorable in all your intentions and things like that. And I'm like, where else would you want to be? you know right like i really like how you said how you want to be that light of just the environment and i really just think that just shows jesus through your actions because jesus is the light of the world and how you said you don't want to really go with the ways that your uh colleagues were going with kind of with taking that into with the ways of the world and that you knew what was right and it may not have felt comfortable at the time but in those times you're really making God proud. And even like you said, with the people around you, they just start to see that. And then that changes themselves because you're shining that light in that environment. 
and you're already bringing light into that room of darkness. And I've been able to see that here too, you know, and even was, I'm in a group right now and we're making our final project. And uh, the one day my friend was uh, cussing up a storm and then they're like, Oh wait, we shouldn't be swearing because Jared's around us or it's like something uh, like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. That, that can be difficult because, you know, especially at a young age, all of a sudden you're being excluded. And yeah. nobody wants to be feel excluded. You want to be part of the in crowd. And mm-hmm. yet we're told through God's word that we will be set apart and that we should be set apart yeah. and that we will be excluded from the world because we should be in a yeah. way. We really should be if we're going to be a light for Christ because Christ was excluded from uh, his own this, friends, from his own friends. Right. And, and yet he wanted to be there as to change them. And he wanted to be around sinners because he knew that was his end goal was to see them changed mm-hmm. through him. And he was, because he was there uh, around sinners, he had an effect on them. Mm-hmm. I think what's the worst thing in the world that Christians can do is just go in packs and, and just hang out with each other. Yeah. Like all, all those people know who Christ is. They've, mm-hmm. they've were lost and they are found go out and find the lost. Yeah. Where are they? They're mm-hmm. not, they're not hanging out at church on Sunday. Those mm-hmm. are all the people that have been delivered, yep. <laughs> delivered over to God, you know, Definitely. And so, well, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Go out there and be a game changer, a game changer for Christ, but also mm-hmm. full circle, you know, be a game changer in the animation industry too. Mm-hmm. have an effect on your community by doing excellent work. They will listen to you more if you are excellent and in leadership. Yeah. Leadership, they will have to listen to you. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm part of uh, my campus ministry. It's called Chi Alpha and it's called, and it means um, ambassadors of Christ. And that's really been something that God has been putting on my heart recently is going out just on campus and whether it be kids in like the student center or when I'm in animation or wherever, just going up to them and sharing your love and sharing the word of God with them. Mm. And I've been very fortunate enough, um, even in my own film group, I was talking about, I've been able to have some really amazing conversations with this one kid in my group. He still doesn't fully believe in Christ. I've been able to kind of show him what Jesus is through my actions and through my intention of talking with him. And I really think that that's really important, um, especially in the animation industry is kind of getting out of your comfort zone. Like, uh, have you watched The Chosen, the TV series, The Chosen? You know, I have, and everybody's talking about it, and I still haven't had time to uh, check it there's out. This, I uh, heard great things about it, though. Yeah, there's this one scene in it where Jesus says, get used to different, and that's kind of like their slogan right now. And mm. being able to seek discomfort, that's kind of been one of my biggest mottos in terms of like trying to go out and reaching out to more people is seek that discomfort in your life and seek the discomfort in that conversation, but just go out and share the love in the word of God. But yeah, I really liked how you talked about that. And I think that's really important in today. Yeah. And I feel like that's a good philosophy seeking discomfort, but also that could lead into success in your animation world too, mm-hmm. is to seek discomfort is to work hard and overcome those bad drawing days or, or doing a pitch, you know, coming up with an idea and pitching it to executives at Netflix or something. That's not comfortable. Those are things where you're really putting yourself out there or going outside of your social box, you know, of comfort. So Mm -hmm. 
I think that's, you know, appropriate for the Christian life as well as for a career in animation. Yeah. We're going to move on to our next question. That was really good conversation, Tony. Thanks for sharing all of that. I know you it's bet, man. vulnerable for some parts, but I'm really thankful that you were able to share that. But I just kind of wanted to talk about the present day uh, in your life. I know that you're moving to Lipscomb and yeah. to Nashville and you're leaving LA and you've kind of grown up and around LA all your life. I have. What was kind of your intentions or just your thoughts? I know you have like your brother is there and you have family there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but why do you think uh, you want to go there? And have you felt like God has kind of been pushing you towards this way and becoming a teacher and moving away from actually animating? Yeah. Wow. It's a really good and timely question, Jared, because I've been pretty emotional lately because of all that you just said, which is absolutely right on the bat, uh, on the, on, on the uh, nail, which is I'm mm-hmm. stepping out from something that I really know well, California, and I don't hate California. I'm not one of those, get me out of here and really, you know, politically minded. And it's like, I just want to get away from all these liberals or anything. It's not like that at all for me. I feel very comfortable in California. I have my whole life. I love California. I have a lot of really good friends. I've been going to the same church and I'm an elder at my church that I've been there for 32 years now. Teaching now at at APU has been great. Mm -hmm. I have a relationship with my students and don't want to leave them. Don't want to leave my church. Don't want to leave my friend. You know, Mm -hmm. just everything. I have kids here too that are staying, uh, adult kids. So in a way, this is not an easy choice or an easy step in my life to leave. Um, And yet I do absolutely feel like it's called by God and that God has been tapping me on the shoulder for a while now about going to Tennessee. Yes, because I have family out there. I I do want to be closer to those family, my brother included. But God opened this door at Lipscomb just at a time where I'm finishing my first you know, I have a graduate, my first graduating class of seniors is coming up. They're, they're finishing this semester. And so it's kind of the fruition of this four-year curriculum that I created for APU. And it's all coming to a conclusion in a good way. So I do feel like God has allowed me to have, um, to see, you know, closure there with APU. And while I, I, I do have issues of feeling like I'm leaving my kids or leaving my church, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of turmoil and things going on there that I want to be a part of or help, and um, I don't know, um, it is kind of an emotional choice, and yet I do feel strongly that God has me going in the right direction and that he'll, he'll support me in this move, and while it won't be the, probably won't be the easiest transition I think it's going to be exciting. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be very positive. And I think God has, has me going exactly where he wants me to be. Tom and I, on a, on a creative standpoint, and we talked about this in one of our podcasts, I did a podcast called Why I'm Leaving LA. Yeah, I and, think I listened to that one. <laughs> did you? Okay. Yeah. And um, so I did open up a little bit in that podcast, um, like I am now about some of these emotional elements. But uh, from an animation element and the career element, Tom and I have plans of really trying to bring animation to Nashville in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we feel strongly that we can bring more family-based uh, or even faith-based animation to Nashville because there's, LA is a very harsh market when it comes to 
doing anything that is spiritual, anything that has mm-hmm. a good more good morals to it. And I mean, biblically based morals, not, not what the world says. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's getting harsher and harder to produce anything. I mean, even at Disney, we're going to see in the next five years, some really dramatic changes in the kind of characters and stories being told on feature animated films that are, you know, considered for the whole family. Mm-hmm they are already going in that direction and already there in a lot of ways, but you'll see it more and more in the newer films. Um, So there is a sense of not, can we save animation by going to Tennessee and doing it less expensive and working Mm -hmm. with people that have hearts for Christ? Um, You know, uh, I think animation is going to be okay, but can we do more things on the spiritual side that has more family values based on biblically based values Mm -hmm. in Tennessee? I think absolutely. I think it's a better environment for that. But I also think it's a a ripe time with so much talent rising up and so many people in Tennessee now, especially in the Nashville area that are interested in supporting good quality uh, media, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it be films, music, uh, anim- and animation is the thing that Tom and I have our hold on and, and we have some control over. So we feel like we can really serve that animation community by helping it to grow. Mm-hmm. And I think by me being there and now Tom being there, and there's a couple other really star animators like John Pomeroy that's out there, mm-hmm. um, that we feel like we could put together some interesting projects. Tom's already got his pencilish animation studios. I think I'm going to end up working with him more and more on that too. So yeah, Lipscomb University is definitely a big draw for me, but also a bigger idea, which is, can God use us to really help bring animation to Nashville in a big way? Yeah. Well, I, I relate to that. I've grown up in Pennsylvania all my life. I mean, I go to school an hour away from my house, but this summer I'm actually moving to North Carolina for an internship and I'm working with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association with their, in post-production with their video ministries team. Nice. And it's like the first, like really, I feel like the big step I'm like really taking um, just not only in my career, but in my faith. Mm. And I've been, not going to lie, I've been really nervous about it, but I really know that um, I'm going to be used by God and that everything I do is going to glorify the kingdom. And just uh, knowing that God is there um, has really just been such a comfort and really relate to what you're talking about though. So I really think that's admirable of you though, Tony, um, stepping out of that comfort, like we talked about. Yeah. I mean, cause I've been, I mean, the other part of it, and I talked about this in the podcast too, is I'm, I'm leaving at a very successful high point in my career. Um, since COVID started, there's actually been more animation opportunities and jobs that have come my way mm-hmm. than ever before, than there are at least in a long, long time. And so uh, it's been very lucrative. I've had a lot of fun. I've worked on some great, you know, bigger feature projects mm-hmm. and doing 2D animation like never before too. So will that, you know, there's always that question mark. Will that continue as I move out to Tennessee? I do think it will. And I, and I think there's, there's reasons behind that, but, Mm -hmm. but, you know, we don't have a crystal ball to know the future only God does. And so there is a part of me that's like, wow. I I mean, I, I, I'm just like the opposite of what you've, I think most people, when you talk to them about moving from California to Nashville or Texas or something like that, and they're Christians, it's usually like, oh yeah, you're Mm -hmm. fed up too. Right. You know? And I'm just, I'm not that at all, you know, so that's what makes it hard. It would be easier in a lot of ways if I felt like, mm-hmm. oh, all my 
you know, my bridges are burned here. It's too expensive to live in California. I hate Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I just, I'm ready to move on. And But I, I'm also glad that I'm not, I don't have that attitude because that bitterness, I think, would really destroy um, and dampen the light that God has me to be, I think, in Nashville. Mm -hmm. um, I want to come into that situation of like, hey, no, I, I feel very blessed. I learned so much from being in Hollywood and I got along well there. And, you know, I want to be a positive story of that because I feel like that was a gift that God gave me for a time. And now I'm transitioning into a new time and a new place, a new season in my life where now I'm going to be doing similar things, but take that to somewhere that doesn't have it. Um, and um, not that I'm trying to paint a picture that I'm like an animation missionary, because uh, <laughs> I don't feel that. Uh, but, um, you know, I just want to be able to make this transition and do it with a, a real integrity of not being bitter and angry. And it's certainly not what this is about for me. No, I've definitely feel like in my own prayers to God, I'm prayed about like where uh, he wants me to go. And I've thought about California and like, that's completely a different side of the country for me. That's scary, right? Yeah. And, uh, and like you said, I don't like, I'm not really opposed to like anywhere, like I'll go wherever, like God wants to send me, but especially like down South, like you said, Nashville. And um, it's really been like a place that's been on my mind where I feel like God is pushing me is especially down yeah. South. And I've really feel like you said just because of with COVID in the past two years, there's been so many job opportunities that have just popped up. Studios are hiring freelancers because they have their own setups. They have everything that they need yeah. uh, because they're used to that. And you can't work in a studio really anymore. And it's really just amazing seeing how well the animation industry has thrived in such a time where it's troubling for a lot of people. But uh, it's just been really such an essential thing for people to bring happiness and joy just in this time. Yeah. But uh, um, we're in the last couple of questions, so we're winding down here. But uh, what would be your biggest piece of advice for um, students like me, Christian, and who are animators? And as we move on um, from college and into the just industry and life right now in the crazy world that we live in? I mean, I, I talk to my students right now because I have seniors graduating and we're talking about portfolios and next steps and all that kind of stuff right now. So this is very relevant and, and current for me. But I always recommend uh, to students that are trying to get out there is a couple things. Uh, one is, I know we all want to work for Disney and Pixar and uh, many people come into this industry or, or school thinking that's my goal. I'm going to end up there. Well, just know that that doesn't, that could be your ultimate goal, but it shouldn't probably be your, your current goal. Your current goal should be, I want to get a job in animation. So if you love the craft of animation and storytelling, don't put yourself up to that level of, I, I'm only going to be happy if I'm at my dream studio. Mm -hmm. Because one, that dream studio has changed. It's probably not the dream studio that you think of from the 90s that's doing 2D animation, mm -hmm. Beauty and the Beast or whatever that you, you, you use as the gold standard of what that studio represents to you. It's probably not that. It's probably five years ahead of that, if, if, if at least. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, then, and then two, you know, there's a level of excellence that's expected at those studios and they're highly competitive. And to put yourself into that range um, is very difficult. Um, times have definitely changed from when I was trying to get into Disney and did get into Disney. 
I always try to encourage people to look for the smaller studios that are not only willing to take chances on new people, um, but also have a lot more creative possibilities too, that you can find a lot of great work at, get your foot wet and move your way up. You know, while you're working at other animation studios, you still might have that eye on Disney or something, but work your way up to it by continuing to build your portfolio, hone your skills, get better mm -hmm. and better so that you are ready to uh, approach Disney. Uh, and not to say that you shouldn't try because I have many friends that it took them five, six times of applying at Disney before they broke in. Mm -hmm. um, so you do need to be tenacious about your approach to a big studio. And I do think applying several times over and over again is a good thing to do, mm -hmm. but you just should not never put all those, all your eggs in that one basket. That's yeah. what I like to tell students. Um, and then besides that, um, in a portfolio, I, I encourage people to really put themselves forward, their own vision for how they draw. What makes you unique? Let mm -hmm. that shine through in your portfolio. What's your voice as an artist? How do you see things in the way of character design or storyboarding? What sets you apart? Don't copy what everybody else is doing and think, well, this is the standard for Disney is drawing like this. Because mm -hmm. I see a lot of storyboard artists drawing like this. You know, Think about your ideas, what you can bring to the table, and put those things in your portfolio, the things that are, that are still excellent and good looking, obviously appealing, but also say something about who you are and how you see making whatever your specialty is, storyboards, character design, animation. Thanks for sharing that. Now, uh, it's just been a really tough time for, I know not only a lot of kids on my campus with uh, trying to find work, um, but uh, just really, Think a lot of people can benefit from those words that you said moving on to our last question yeah what would you tell 18 year old you if you had the chance oh my gosh so many things <laughs> so the list there's a book there's a book actually that i would tell that guy well, one of the first things i would tell him is probably you know just enjoy every moment you know just be happy where you're at i think so many times and this is not just me but i think most people we just get so focused on the future and everything ahead that we're not really mm -hmm. happy in our present and in our moment. And I could tell you a lot of times my 18 year old self was, I was all about the future, all about like, where am I going to go to school, you know, college and where, you know, and then how do I get that comic strip out there? And how do I, you know, and how do I could become successful? How do we, how do I make money? How do I, and it's always, they were always things, all the questions I had were triggered by future events that I was worrying mm -hmm. about now and had no control over. And I was a Christian. And so I would tell myself, the thing that I've learned the most in my 53-year journey here, 54, oh gosh, 54-year journey here on this planet has been to just, it sounds so simple, but just trust God. At that time, I was a Christian. I love God. I was not trusting him like I should. I've learned to trust him so much more, but it's also come with trials that I've gone through and he pulled me through. So I've had to convince myself over and over and over again, like an idiot that, you know what, God is always going to be there, even though I know that, but mm -hmm. I've had to allow him to show me that continually, continually, continually. I mean, he must be exhausted by me um, <laughs> because he's had to show me so many times that I got you. Don't worry. I got mm -hmm. you. And I wish I could, you know, strangle that 18 year old version of me and, <laughs> and get that through because it would have saved me so much. I, I would probably still have hair, 
right now. <laughs> no, uh, I've definitely felt the same. You know, I'm two years past 18, but. Well, and Jared, you have, you have a full body of hair. I want to oh, see yeah, you keep yeah. that hair. So, so believe it, believe it. And you'll keep that hair. <laughs> God is going to provide and work it all out. Amen. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Tony, for joining me today and for sacrificing the time yeah, you bet. of your busy schedule. Um, I really appreciate you coming on here. It was fun. It was nice to meet you, man. And I wish you the best. Tell Mike Gens I said, hey. I will. I'll show him this video. Oh, okay, cool. And uh, those of you listening, this has been the interview with Tony Bancroft. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. And remember to animate from the heart. Well, a beautiful tomorrow just to dream away. That says we're going places. There's progress ahead.